Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. Yeah, I think, you know, it takes time to find your voice. I think you'll notice when you are finally really coming into yourself and do what you think is funny. Uh, remember that your words are a magnet, so what you say will draw certain people to you and you need to make sure that those are the type of people you want drawn to you. Jokes matter, I, I think, no matter who you are. So they're not just jokes. Like, what you say matters. Hot breath. Hello, hot breath of Welcome back. This is Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers. If this is your first time tuning in and you're a fan of today's guest, stopping by, stay a while. We're on YouTube, all the podcast platforms, and this Q&A you're about to listen to took place in our Facebook group. So if you'd like to get involved in more of these going forward with comics like today's guest, go into the show notes. Click join the Facebook group and start connecting with me and other comics around the world on the mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And today's interview is with one of the greats, one of my hands-down favorite. She is absolutely hilarious. She's actually been on the show once before back in Hot Breath episode number 163. That'll be linked in the show notes. But most recently... She hopped back on to promote her new comedy special, and is deservingly so releasing a comedy special on HBO Max. You can go watch it right now. Go support her. Go let her know that you heard her on Hot Breath, as there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Beth All right, hot breath of Stelling. Welcome back <laughs> to the show where you learn comedy from the pros. This is Hot Breath Live, comedians on Skype, talking comedy. This is the show where you get to ask your favorite comedians your favorite questions. So if you're watching this on YouTube, we are doing all of this live in our Facebook group. So go into the description, click join the Facebook group so you can connect and ask questions to your favorite comedians, like today's guest, who is one of my personal favorite comedians. We were fortunate enough to interview her last year while she was passing through Atlanta, and now we are fortunate enough to have her back to answer your questions. So welcome back to the Hot Breath of Verse, the one and only Beth Stelling, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome Beth Stelling to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, welcome back, Beth. So... What is, I'm sorry, I got, I got so excited. I cut you off. That is a great sign of an interviewer. I'm already excited cutting off the guest. I was really just saying thank you. So I've been starting these off because everyone's having a different experience with like the quarantine and just, especially in the comedy world, everyone has, has like a different approach to how we're surviving and maintaining what it, what is, what has been your quarantine life like and how have you been able to maybe even sustain your comedy through this i'm subsisting mostly off of sugar <laughs> sometimes i'll be at the grocery like you know <clears throat> you can't go that often you know i may try to limit it until i need to go to the grocery and i look in my little cart and i'm like this is 
100% candy. I'm not sure what you expect to live off of. But, yeah, I think it's to the point where I... I'm more, I want to say I'm more productive than I give myself credit for. I think that's a issue I had before the quarantine. Um, I think it's like, I'm handling this all, like, I'm very careful with my word choice because this is a pandemic. It's a very difficult time. I have family all over the country, mostly in the Midwest. And everyone, of course, is dealing with it differently. And depending on your job, you may be really suffering. So I, you know, the humor in it, I suppose, is uh, I'm quarantining alone. So every life choice I've made um, up to this point ha- has been really incredible. Uh, so that I can, <laughs> and I feel very good about all my life choices. I have no children, uh, no husband, and a beautiful uh, self-curated apartment. So you know, it's one of those things where. If this, I think about comics, of course, and I think about if this had happened to me right when I first moved here. I mean, I would have been working several jobs. It would have been, am I still working for this family or are they self-quarantining? Am I working at this cafe that becomes an essential, you know, like it would have been a really scary time. So I feel for people who just moved to L.A. to follow their dreams and now they're dealing with not being able to pay rent and. My goodness. I remember that when I did first move, there was a writer's strike with the WGA. Mm. And I remember thinking Ooh. almost like, oh, perfect timing. Little did I know that would be zero issue for me. I mean, like, you think you move out here and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to join the WGA right away. It's like, uh, babe, it's going to be like a lot of years before you join the WGA. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just like I'm happy to be where I am. I've obviously to give myself credit, I've worked very hard to get to where I am, but uh, thankfully, my job as a writer, I can write from my office right here. Did I talk for a long time? Oh, that's this is a Q&A with you. You're supposed to be talking. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> I know I cut you off, and then, uh, and then I let you talk, and you're like, wait, when's he cutting me off? Anyway, yes, I'm checking in with my mom, who's also self-quarantining at oh, home yeah. in Ohio. But she has the dog. She's got Nigel. Um, but in general, yes, I, I think I feel I'm feeling similar to probably how a lot of people who work from home are feeling. You know, it's like a little mixture of insane and little Groundhog Day. A little time is flying. A little time is going very slow. And now for L.A., it seems that we have extended our stay at home orders until August. So that's news. It's good you could still work, though, because a lot of comics are, like, scrambling to figure out. A lot of comics are like, oh, I better start that podcast now. Like, everyone's just, some people are just freaking out. Yeah, they are. a lot, And that's the other thing, too. Like, I'm not someone, I don't know. I There's, like, you know, some good content getting put out. And I think there's some some content <laughs> getting put out that might be deleted here in a, in a little bit. Uh <laughs> I'm more on the quality over quantity. I always have been, but I just think we really got to think. I, I I'm more just like think, I guess, um, before you put out. Cause I, I, I realize we're experiencing a lot of that. I think there's a lot of discord, um, of course, between the have and the have nots right now. The sort of like, we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you're fine. <laughs> you're complaining about some things getting canceled or your movie being pushed and other people 
can't freaking pay their rent or feed their children. So I think it's just, it's an important time as a comic to always stay in touch with what's going on in the country, but it's sort of parallel to what it's like when a comic gets famous and loses his touch mm-hmm. with the crowd and starts talking about things that they cannot relate to. So even like thinking of comics that have like made it and in our first interview, we talked about your experience working with Judd Apatow. I would yeah. like to learn a little bit more about you getting to work with Sarah Silverman, who is of that same ilk of comedian that is like in the holy grail of comedy minds and comedy greats. Can you even yeah. share your experience working with her? What it's like, what you've learned? Like, is the, your, your experience yeah. with Judd was very informative. So I, I wanted to get into like Sarah as well. Yeah, um, Sarah's a you know one of the best comedians in the world. She's she's one of my favorites, and also um, one of my favorite people to work for, or, you know, pitch bits to. And she's a great boss. So she's she's I guess I can't say enough good things about Sarah Silverman. You know, she's someone who's been around for for many years because she started when she was a teenager, and she's. You know, I, I in the last breath I mentioned comics who are out of touch and sort of can't, you know, keep an audience because they're no longer able to connect with them. She's she's not that at all. You know, she's not the person sending someone to go do things for her. She does them herself so she can remain in touch with life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learn a lot from Sarah. You know, I'm grateful to have been become friends with her over the last, since I, you know, last, I guess, nine years since I moved here. And I think it's one of those things, like, one of the main things I learned from watching her, especially when we were touring, she was touring Speck of Dust, and I was getting ready for my half hour on Netflix, so it must have been about three years ago. Um, I was opening for her on the road. And one of the things I love about watching her and is a good reminder for me, and I still struggle with this. It's funny how it's hard to change, but I watch her and she performs each show. Like it's the first time she's telling those jokes. So she's very present. And in that same vein, she's a wonderful actress because that is part of standup is a performance an act, you know, I think some people for the longest time, just like they think at midnight's on the spot, they think stand-ups on the spot. And it's like a lot of these jokes form over time, especially I, I think back to audiences three years ago when I was starting to rebuild this hour that I just filmed. And I'm like, sorry guys. <laughs> like some of those jokes didn't make sense. Some of them were bad or problematic. And now they're what I meant to say. Like it's, it, they were filled with more, you know, unnecessary words that I've since cut out, just don't need to say. Mm. So from mm. watching her, she's just been, she's a well-oiled machine. You know, she, she knows her voice and I think she goes to great lengths to remain in touch with her audience and people and um, evolve over time. You know, she's the, the writing for I Love You America. I will say I came on, to what they called season 1B cuz Hulu wouldn't give them a season 2 cuz then they would have to up everyone's contracts and pay. Oh. So they kind of were shysty about that and um 
it was season 1B, which I came on for. And I left, I just came from Good Boys set in Vancouver. And I went to I Love You America um, for those, I forget whatever it was, 12 weeks or something. And, and really, I was just, again, more on set punch up and monologue. So a lot of the work on I Love You America is done by a team that was formed long before me and is brilliant. That that writing team that she put together is filled with awesome people. I I had some I'd known before and others um, I got to know on the show and she assembled a really um, brilliant team of writers. It's a perfect mix of, of silly and smart and um, passionate. They've all, they all go on to continue to work because they're great. Is there any advice um, you've gotten from her from getting to work with her so much that you just kind of will never forget? Mm, I mean, at this point, you know, there are personal life lessons that I learn and we discuss and share and her experiences. I would say, you know, this isn't necessarily something new, but the idea that all of this is it's a lot, it's, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a long, it's a long road, you know? So you have to keep that in mind with your ups and downs. I think that's something she's good at reminding me of that, um, you know, you're going to have disappointments and things that you fall short and failures and you're here to stay. And I think that's a fear that you have for a long time that you fail and you're gone, but it's like they gave, what's that woman's name? Anne Hayes, like three television shows, like certain people get many, many chances. And I think that does it just because you might not be a, as well known of a writer doesn't mean that you won't have more than one chance to, you know, it's not, it's not as make or break as that phrase <laughs> that is said is make or break. You know, it's like, it's the same thing. Like when people say, um, this is your big break. It's like, I've been breaking for the last seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was my Mark Norman impression. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he was on here uh, a week or two ago, and he had talked about like Netflix not picking him up, and he was like, "You got to be in a wheelchair." Like, you know, he had a, a yeah. funny joke about it, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is it does seem like, and this is interesting timing because you just taped your hour. Uh, we just had Ted Alexandro on here yesterday who is like, he almost like started the independent way back in like the nineties. He was releasing independent specials. So it's like you recording an hour. What it, are you planning to sell it? Has someone already bought it? What is everyone has is seemingly having trying to figure out this new Netflix isn't buying everything anymore. So what is next? So what is, what is your strategy behind the new hour special? So for me, I did my half hour on, Netflix. I mean, it's always been a dream of mine to have an HBO special. I think it's kind of, I don't want to say, excuse me, I just barfed in my mouth. Um, <laughs> it's all that sugar, sweet Beth. It's all <laughs> coffee. Everybody, should, oh wait, can you see it? Oh, it blurred oh, out. Go. Isn't that weird? This is my, the coffee shop I used to manage in Chicago. Everybody should buy their beans from oh, Dollop. Yum. Okay, small commercial. Anyway, uh -huh. so, um, did my half hour? So, yes, it was a dream of mine 
to be have an HBO special. I think similarly to Mark, I was in, you know, discussions with them and back. I'm horrible at time, maybe two years ago or, or a year ago. I have no clue. And they came and saw me. And um, to be honest, I would say what they saw is not like it depends on what they see. And sometimes like for me, I'm I would say I'm more sensitive to my surroundings than maybe most in the sense that I would prefer you see me in a certain place, a certain club, you know, like I feel like I shine when I'm comfortable and as cheesy as it sounds, I feel safe. And I know that those, you know, like, I I guess this is sort of stating the obvious, like if you're a certain comic, you want them to come see you at your favorite venue, but some comics feel like you should kill everywhere and it's like, well, I can do my job technically everywhere, but my comfortability will shine through in my performance. I, you know, I think there's certain times as a comic where you can really feel your, I mean, genius is a bit hyperbolic, hyperbolic, but you can feel your genius flowing through you. It's a flow, you know, where you can't describe it, where you're like, yeah, most people would say I was just on or it was just a good set, you know, mm-hmm. but there are times when you walk away and you're like, that was cool. Like I wasn't trying, I just let it happen. And then other times where it feels very plodding and and like you were off and it sucked and you're mad at yourself. And I think this particular club they came and saw me at, I just, it's not my fave. It was more very clubby and people who were not, you can feel the percentage of who's vibing you and who, who just showed up for, for what they wanted to see or a comedy show. And this particular hour, I would say too, is something I feel very passionate about and put a lot of time and energy to, but the place they came and saw that hour, I was more on the side of angry than (laughs) where I've gotten to, which is funny. Uh So I think that played a role. This is all to say that (laughs) it was a long time over time with them and eventually HBO Max came to light that they would be launching this new um, streaming service with a lot of original content and then of course the whole Friends catalog and everything that you've seen I don't know if you've seen promos yet they're offering like $11.99 a month for the first year so then basically HBO Max came in with an offer that I could not refuse and Team Coco, they had brought them on to produce them. And obviously I've, I've, I've worked with Conan and done Conan a couple times and um, close with them and have a good relationship. And so when it came time for them to curate their stand-ups for HBO Max, which they put them in charge of, um, they wanted to work with me. So I, don't, I didn't describe that as concisely as I would have liked to say. I really went off on a... Right. As a writer, your word economy is really. <laughs> gotta... <laughs> we got to tighten these up here. Let's let's go back. No, I'm just kidding, Beth. Yeah. No, it's all relevant, yeah. though, because yeah. I was at you were adding. <laughs> you were giving context to where the landscape of comedy specials are and to where they're headed. And you're being a part of these new frontier of platforms that are diving into the comedy right. specials. Which you never know. I mean, think about it. Some co- like a great comic like Brent Weinbach years ago put out a special on CISO. It's like it could have been 
huge mm-hmm. or it could have been what happened, which is there's no CISO anymore. So it's just like Brent's a great comic. He's brilliant. You never know what's going to happen when you enter into something new. It's a risk. But for me, it's a risk I wanted to take because obviously I'm hoping <laughs> that it's going to be big and there will be a large audience for it. You know, even more so than than what I guess you would call regular HBO. Because um, if you look at the numbers on that, they're not always as big as you think they would would be. Oh, you know, the reach yeah. that HBO has. So I'm hoping that. So my special will come out on HBO Max in August. Is the is the answer? If you'd like to cut out everything I've just said for the last four minutes. Oh no, we're live. This is it. <laughs> I, but it's, it's all it's all relevant. Don't worry, Beth. Yeah, we're all. I mean, a yeah, lot, just, yeah, we're all. Point fans. is, it's a long journey. You have to, you know, like Mark, I'm sure was saying, it's like you have hopes for who you want to take it, and they might say no. And so sometimes you have options. And other times you don't. There are story, there's stories like that for every comic. There's stories like that for famous comics. Like, they didn't want them. Uh, they weren't big enough at the time where their career took the dip. I mean, we could be talking about somebody like Ray Romano's was on Netflix. So I don't, I don't know his personal story. I'm just saying he could have gone to them and said, hey, I want to do a special. And then said, no. And then he went with a smaller company or whatever it is, like Epics or something. Mm-hmm. And that did well. So then he can do his next special with Netflix or HBO or whatever. That's not his story. <laughs> He's on Netflix and it was a great freaking special. But I'm just saying like this, it can happen to anybody. It doesn't just have to be these, no, like a no name comic that <clears throat> like Mark calls himself a non-famous comic. It, it, it could have happened to him and it could have happened to, I'm trying to think of a better example, but no, you're the you one, know. one that comes to mind for me that is popular in his world is like Gary Owen, who's done a lot of Showtime specials, but he, 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 he has talked about Netflix won't hook me up. You know, I don't know enough white people. He'll say things like that, you know. Um, so I guess he's an example of a guy who sells out theaters and stuff, but still hasn't broken the Netflix ceiling. But yeah, I, it's odd because I, at this point, part of their drive does seem follower driven, mm-hmm. you know. So you'd think that if I, I'm not sure Gary's follow count or whatever, but I know his. He's very popular and prolific and talented. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit of a wonder why they choose what they choose or continuing to put money into certain things. I mean, if I had to shit on them, I'd say they've ruined stand-up comedy. But I think it's one of those things where... (laughs) Really? (laughs) No, I'm not fucking around. But I think it's like... It's this idea that everyone has that you put out an hour every year. And I think some people are actually capable of putting out quality content per year. And others, I think we've discovered. Well, I'm, I'm personally not claiming to be one of those people. I'm not. I'm 100% not one of those people that should or wants to put out an hour every year. That's another thing I've learned from Sarah. She puts out a special because it's called a special. When she has something special to say or has worked on something that she'd like to deliver, like... To me, it should be a really good product, not a podcast with four jokes. But <laughs> some people are money-driven, and I get it. Take that money. Get your whatever your deal is. Deliver them an hour per year. Some people, it's like, you know, I can shit on it, and then if they gave it to me and said, hey, we'll give you $20 million for four specials over the next four years, you're kind of like, okay. Right. Yeah. I'll take your money. And we'll uh, we'll get into these questions here. And don't worry. Oh, people are saying uh, 
CJ says, Beth, she's so funny. Carlick, I love listening to her. She can keep talking. She's super smart. Um, yeah, people, yeah, people are here for you, Beth. They're, we're all in support. Uh, Cody <laughs> says, love from Beaver Creek, Ohio. Oh, hi, Cody. Bo- Bohatchi? Is it Cody Bohatchi? Uh, Cody Sailor. Oh, okay. Hi, Cody. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Henry, Henry River says hi. Um, so let's get into their questions now because okay. that's why we are here as well. I selfishly have to open up with questions as a fan. But um, let's get into the first one here from Tobias Taylor. Tobias says, hey, Beth, how did you get into comedy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, born the youngest of three girls. And I, my sisters were, you know, I guess it's all cheesy sounding, but it's like, you know, my sisters were so loving and doted on me. I was, I was, I wasn't, you know, tormented by my older siblings I was really made the sort of center of attention in a lot of ways. And I always wanted to keep up with them. So I was trying to be probably intellectually ahead of where I was. I think that's the benefit of being the youngest is you kind of develop quicker um, intellectually because you're trying to keep up with the kids around you, which are your siblings. So, and I loved making them laugh. So, I mean, those are my origin, my origin story. I mean, this much of it, but I guess stand up I got into um, by encouragement from my my girlfriends in college. I would kind of come home either from school or work or whatever it was and make them laugh. I would just kind of, you know, stand in the living room by by the TV as an alternate form of entertainment and make them laugh. And I think for a while there I had another friend in high school, Will Allen, who had given me a Jim Gaffigan CD burned. These were the burned CD days. Mm. And that was really my first introduction to stand up. And I love Jim. He's very talented, but it's not necessarily like I listened to that and fell in love. It was just sort of like, Oh, this is a thing. Stand up comedy is a thing where, cause I didn't grow up like listening to it or adoring it particularly. Um, and then Dane cook happened and that was when I was in college and it was like, Dane Cook was incredible. We loved him. You know, you have to think about where you are and what you love at the time. And Dane was it. So, like, you know, shit on the coats and all those bits. We were just, like, you know, memorizing, laughing, listening to in the car. So that was the first time you felt like that was, like, a comedy superstar in my formative years or introduction to stand-up. So then it was almost intimidating for me to start. But I went down to Charleston, South Carolina for Spoleto. My friends were in a band called Bell, and they were playing. And they they were – it's like I always had these friends pushing me, championing me, being like, you're so funny, you should do stand-up. And the transition from being funny for your friends into stage on a microphone is probably obviously the biggest, scariest step and not seamless. So they just let me open for them. And that meant me telling one of the stories that I told them about my childhood that made them laugh on a stage in a bar. But it was, you know, breaking the seal. It was terrifying. And I did it. And it was exhilarating. And it was bad. I mean, yeah, I was, I was, it's probably the equivalent of being like, hey, honey, you know, like telling a little kid to tell a joke. And they're like, 
<laughs> and then they leave and you're like, yay! <laughs> you know, so I think like that's how I started stand up officially, I suppose, was in Charleston. And I, same weekend, we went and saw Isaac Witte and Amy Schumer. And uh, they were on tour with one other comic. I feel bad. I can't remember his name. But, um, you know, honestly, people say this about me a lot. I've gotten a few mentions. Like, I think Netflix put out a question like, who's a stand-up comic that made you think you could do stand-up or want to do stand-up? And a lot of people are like, Beth's dying. And you're kind of like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> like, if this chick can do it, I can do it. Um, but I will say that about Amy. I watched her in that festival and I was like, I can do this. So I think, you know, that also speaks to representation. I'm seeing a woman on stage with these guys. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I was probably like, I don't know how old I was at the time, 20, something like that, 21. And this ties into actually uh, Bo, Bo Johnson's question, who asks, um, what was the first joke Beth wrote? Well, I think I've told this before. <laughs> My hair's getting... Blurred. It's getting blurred out. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and I put on a ton of makeup. Okay. Getting um, gussied up for this. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Truthfully, I want to say, like, oh, joke-wise. Well, because I've was, i always been a mix of stories and jokes. Um, so I'm trying to think of, like, some of the earliest jokes. I guess, like, I've been flying since I was six because my parents are divorced. Now, first, like, joke, I first, and I've said this before, sorry, because, like, I've been asked these, some of these questions before. No offense. And it's just the one first of the, two. We're going to get deeper here. It's just the first two. Okay. Well, it's, you know, it's okay. Keep posting the, questions. Don't mind her, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, geez, what shallow questions my fans are asking no, right now. <laughs> Shallow. I meant like he, that's actually that actually harkens back to my initial issue of when I watch Sarah and she makes it new every time. I have a huge problem with feeling disingenuous, mm. which like like so sometimes my stand up if I've performed the joke for a while, I almost start to tell it like you guys know this one, and it's like no, they don't. And it's not because I think everyone knows me or is familiar with me. It's because I know how many times I told it, and so I'm kind of like. I feel weird saying it again. And I kind of throw it away. So it's like, stop doing that. Like, do it like you just wrote it for them. As opposed to, like, so I feel disingenuous. And the reason I say uh, what I just said is I've said this before, too, in an interview. But first joke was uh, we would drive to my grandma's in Louisville. And there was a sign for this, you know, exit called Nameless Creek. And I said to my mom, I was like, what is that one that Lewis and Clark didn't get to? You know, I think that was probably my first, like, put some, see something, put it together, make something. And then an inadvertent joke was probably first grade. And my mom asked, like, did you have a sub today? And I said, no, you packed me a peanut butter and jelly. So, like, you know, when a kid is just like, doesn't, that was probably my first inadvertent joke. Mm -hmm. um, but then, like, when it came to stand up, my jokes at that time were very, like, I remember, you know, your references are, I get, I haven't had a chicken soup for the soul jo joke. I'm trying to think of like early jokes, air tran, I had, I had airplane jokes about sitting, have to, you have to pay extra to sit in the exit row 
I didn't sign up to be a flight attendant. I have no clue. This is a bad answer. Can we? Can we... Every answer has been great, Beth. Okay. And that that actually is something we as comedians struggle with a lot in terms of not giving rambling answers, but um, is to actually. <laughs> It's actually that making your joke new every time and delivering it the same way every single time. Like, what if, what mindset do you go into the joke with? Or have you found a system or ritual that helps you to actually deliver it like it is the first time? I still struggle. Mm-hmm. I still struggle. I have to, I, you know, I don't want to go back to the same club a year later and give the same act. And I, I don't. This problem and anxiety of mine has resulted in probably more material because I'm scared. Like, you know, I've had people kind of come up to me like, every time I see you, it's different. And I'm like, to me, I'm like, it doesn't feel like that. (laughs) But I'm so glad you're saying that because I'm terrified of showing up to a club every year and being the person who's like, same jokes every time. Yeah. But everything's a tornado in my head, a hot and cold fronts meeting because you're like, you don't want to be the comic that does that. But you also don't want to be the comic that just shows up with weak ass material and is just like, mm, throw this out here. What do you guys want to talk about? It's like, you yeah. know, be professional, yeah. show up. So be this one can go with uh, Chase Bond. And speaking of on the topic of your jokes, what's your favorite joke you've written, new or old? Hmm. That's a toughie. I guess, like, favorite joke I've written, two come to mind, I suppose. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I think, I think newest jokes spark the most joy for comics, especially when they think of it, try it, and it works. Like, that's obviously, to me, the greatest joy, I guess, mm-hmm. of up there with making people laugh is a new joke working or a new idea being like, yes. Um, which is tough during these times because we don't really have an audience to test that out. So it's been what, two months now since I filmed my special, which was the last time I performed standup comedy. Wow. And, uh, so I guess I I don't want to ruin the joke, but it's a special, it's a joke for my upcoming special about abortion and the stigma of it being on women when it's a two person connection <laughs> well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll tell you uh your f- my favorite joke of yours or okay. or uh, i mean well, I'm, a, I'm a fan and i love your writing but um this one was one that just stuck out to me from your i first saw it on your conan set in 2017 where it was oh i hate doing someone's joke but i think these are pretty much the words it's i don't even weigh myself anymore i just ask someone to draw me and if they reach for a oh. marker i know that i know i've gone too far that just it's visual and it's it's concise and that's something um we had jesse david fox on here and he talked about his favorite jokes were are the ones that like get a lot out in a short amount of words like you can see it in a short amount of words and that's one to me that just like it just hits and it's quick and it's just so clever like was that one that kind of came to mind or do you really have to like whittle that one together over months and months 
that one was probably just a, a come to mind thing that I was touring with Mike Birbigley at the time. He was touring the new one and working on that and shaping it and sharpening it. Mm-hmm. And um, I did it. He and I riffed together well, like in the car and stuff. And so I, I said, what do you think of this? And he's like, that's so funny. And then he pitched the, if they reach for a marker. Or no, wait, wait. I can't remember if he pitched the, I reach for a marker. Or if I think I said that. And then he said, if they draw a stick figure, I agree. <laughs> I think that's what his what his tag was. So, I can give him credit where credit is due. But yeah, I forget what it was. He we we ripped that out together. But he's also the one he's given me confidence on jokes where I'm kinda like, is this anything? And he's like, Yeah, that's so funny. So Awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. he's definitely with everything he's doing online, he's definitely a, a guest goal or a goal guest to get on here and answer yeah. comic questions. He's a good dude. Uh, let's get into the next one, which is, I love, we're starting to get chronologically through your career here. So Jason Fox asks, when first starting comedy, how did you handle when sets would bomb and what kept you going? Ugh. It, I feel like those bombs probably felt worse. Just so bad. I mean, bombs suck. Mm. Like, after a while, I went through a period of, like, honestly just not bombing because I wouldn't let myself. And that's bad, too. Because you're just sort of, like, I don't know. I think you got to you gotta push through the bomb. You got to bomb to get great, I guess. I, I mean, but I, I really did go through a period of avoiding bombs. Like, I, sent, I think that sounds like, well, how did you do that? And it's like, well, you just do what you know works and you don't really push too hard or test anything. And you're kind of scared. You're just performing scared. So, wait, what was the question? It was when first started comedy, how did you handle sets that would bomb and what kept you going? God, I mean, how did I handle them? Embarrassment. Like, just, you know, you feel shame. You want to crawl in a hole. Um... How did I handle them? I still handle probably everything the same way, just like with a bowl of ice cream right before bed. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kept me going? I don't know. A sick, <laughs> a sickness. Yeah. Uh, a, um, you know, I used to say like, you know, I guess in stand-up, it's a mix of things. There's all different kinds of us, but pretty much all the same where you kind of have to be a little dumb. Like, okay. You have to be very smart to be a good comic. I think into like there has to, you have to have some web and in some comics you can tell it's intellectual and in other comics. Um, I guess this, I'm, I'm all over the place right now. I think to be funny, you have to be smart. Like that's, that's a fact. It, it doesn't mean school smart. I'm just saying like, you have to have, a sharpness to you. Um, I think, so that sounds like I'm saying, I'm, I think I'm some sort of genius, but <laughs> you're doing I, great. I mean, you're doing great here. We're all having fun. Yeah. You're, you're a very successful comedian that deserves <laughs> to be where you are. We're grateful. You're even willing to take time out of your important day to be here with us. All of your words hold extreme value and relevance. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Um, I forget where I was going with this. I think the question is still about bombing. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so 
you kind of have to be dumb though to be to think I have something to say. You know, like it's a mix because like I didn't start out thinking like I'm going to change the world and everybody must listen to me and I blah blah blah. But you have to be a little dumb to be like I'm going to move to LA. How? But because like part of me was like. It's not that I thought I was like, I'm going to move there and make it and be huge. I just was like, I can do this. And like, I guess the thing that kept me going was the fact that I wanted to try and see if I could. I mean, and the end goals, goal setting, I suppose. That's what kept me going. Mm. I always would write Mm. down my goals and they've changed over time. But they used to be things like perform at Comedians You Should Know perform at the Lakeshore Theater, a late night set, you know, um, I, I'll get specific, but, um, yeah, they're just so, so goal setting. And then yeah, you have a bit of blindness to keep going. Cause if you start doing the math on it, you're not going to make it baby. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and obviously the joy and the passion of making people laugh. And your goals can change over over time. They will. And what you're going for, I think it's some sometimes, sorry, there's this girl who lives above me is like, I can hear her dropping something, weights or. <laughs> the momentum of this interview. <laughs> yeah. Is this interview bombing? <laughs> Oh, people are commenting still. Love her energy. Someone I'd want to hang out with. They're they're encouraging you in the comments right now, Beth. So you're doing great. <laughs> That's fun. We're all in this okay. together. Yes, we are. I, I think too. Obviously, this is like a weird time where where like I was saying before at the beginning. I don't know if we were recording yet, but it's like, do I need to put content out right now? Like, is it? Am I really like making people's days better if I push to put put something out or? Is it best to just like kind of chill? And this is like the, the the world is saying like, take a break here for a second. Um, but yeah, bombing. Is it, I think I, I, think, answered I the think you answered. Yeah, you definitely answered that. Oh, yeah. just the idea where you're just like, why? What do I have to say? So I think that changes over time because I've said a lot. You know, I have a good amount of things that I've put out, and this next hour for me was very very much a passion project so you know the morning after I filmed my special was very cathartic you know it's like I put so much time and energy and years into it um because it should be something you're proud of and special and so I think the next steps of building now I'm back at square one where I was three years ago and you're like I'm almost in the place where I'm just like should you come and see me live I mean like I shouldn't say that publicly Um, but because it's like, it's not going to be good yet. So like, to me, when you see a comic is, is, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It really hinges on where they are in, in that portion of their material. Cause like, technically if this special comes out and you come see me in September, if we're allowed to leave our houses, it's like, is it going to be me just trying new material that I've written during this quarantine I don't want to come out and just do quarantine jokes for people I don't think that's that's not what I want to be putting out so it's like what do I have to say now life has changed it will be different yeah it's like it's just it's it's odd where you catch a comic in their generation of material 
So even like I said, comment, like seeing me just before I filmed the special in Seattle, what a great show. I had a blast. They were like, those things were, those jokes were right where I wanted them. And now do I go and be the comic that performs the special you just watched? No, I think you have to find a mix, but, the, but there's no boss of me except mm-hmm. for me. And you also don't want to be the comic that comes out and I'm like, what do you guys want to hear? <laughs> like, you have to go out and be sure. So it's like, I've talked to Nate Bargatze about it after filming a special and putting it out. And his kind of tactic is sort of just like, hey, I'm going to give you as much new as I can and we'll have fun. And then I'll tell some of the old stuff. And they're like, yay. So I think my sister will always tell me like, Beth. You know, when you go see a, your favorite musician, you want to hear Crazy in Love, Yeah, you know? And that's what was funny, you saying Nate, because we actually we did a Q&A with him like this, and he was talking about even someone, like, at his level who's released, like, a special. He's like, anytime I release something, I am immediately worried that I'll never be able to write another amazing joke as good as what I wrote in those specials. So it's amazing, like, at every level whatever the benchmark is, we're always like reverting back to, Oh, they're going to find out that that was all I had. But I mean, talent's talent, you know, and it just takes, just takes time to develop material, but you're going to be great. Thanks. So let's get into the, let's, let's, let's run through these a little bit here. So I want to make sure people get their questions answered. Answering like, um, with yes or no questions. I'm just kidding. I'll be working. All right, we could do this with yes or no because um, Cody Saylor asks, uh, any plans on a show in Dayton in the near future? Um, yes. I'm supposed to... There's a Women of Influence series happening at the Human Race Theater that I was supposed to come and do this month, and which is in Dayton. And, um, and I was supposed to do a Columbus Festival like in a couple weeks, but... I don't think it's been officially canceled, but maybe it ha- I have like, it's an odd time right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Jeff Tate, who's in Cincinnati was like, no, that's going to be canceled. And so it's like, I don't have a ticket home. So I guess it's a tough, it's just a tough question to answer because I, it's pandemic related, but I want to come home and I'll do a show at the human race theater. Probably is the answer. Yay. Yeah. So Jonathan Hernandez What are two things you would do differently in your comedy career? And what's one thing you wish you'd knew you'd knew you'd know? Um, Sorry, that was my liberal arts degree coming out. Well, what is this here? What? what? (laughs) Anyway, um, so what are two things you would do differently in your comedy career? And what's one thing you wish you knew before starting your career? In a yes or no answer. (laughs) No. Uh... (laughs) Jeez, things I've done differently. I guess a simple que- answer is just when I, I I was a new face of Montreal, um, out of Chicago, and it was a six minute set, and you like rehearsed it, and it was that's what got me in, and and I really stuck to it, and I was scared about sticking to the time, and I'm very much like type A rule follower, very organized comic. And when I got there, it was mostly New York and L.A. comics. And they were all very nice and stuff. But they were just sort of like, yeah, I might go a little over. I'm going to do a new bit. I'm going to do this. Very relaxed. And I was like, I 
it's not that I had a, I wasn't the comic that like necessarily stuck to a, uh, annotated or, um, transcription or something, but it was something I worked on. Like it was, it was meticulous. Mm-hmm. And I just was terrified of going over and, you know, sticking to it. And that makes you more one dimensional, you know? So I, if I could do it over, I would say like, listen, don't blow the light by 10 minutes, but have, have fun. I mean, have fun is such a, it's really so I'm sick of hearing it. It's, it's just like, what do you mean? Have fun. That's so stupid. It's just like be in the moment and not worry as much. So yes, have fun, but I'm, that's bad advice. Uh, so that's what I would do differently. And Hmm. I mean, you can't change these things, but the way I put out my albums is insane. And some of it's not even done. I just am like, it's more like, you know, feeling like you're more in charge of your career. I think there's balance with that. There's comics that come out like right away. I'm a comic. Here's my card. And, you know, they know and they know what what they're doing. And I was sort of like, somebody like, will you do your album with us? We really have it. And I'm like, sure. You know, it's like kind of, I would be less accepting. I would be more, more questioning of the things and intentions. And, um, yeah, the way I put out my albums, like I said, some of those jokes were jokes I just told for a brief period of time. And then later I finished them and put them in a special. So in some ways I kind of like that I did that where you listen to it on the album and it's like, Oh, that's funny. And then later you see it done in a special. That's kind of fun. But yeah. And then one thing I wish I knew, hmm, it's hard to say. I don't know. That's one thing I wish I knew. I think, like, I think you said it with, like, just being more mindful of some of the choices and the people you trusted. Yeah. I think things like that, that when you're young and just am like gung ho, here we go. You're just thinking about, Ooh, what's going to give me the heat or whatnot, as opposed to, well, what do I want? What are my, what, what do I want to get out of my own comedy career and not listen to what other people think my career should be? Yeah. I think it's, you know, stand up's always something where there are no rules and there's no boss and there's no nothing yet. Everyone, pretty much does the same thing. They get up and they just talk into the microphone. People hold it differently and touch it differently and stand differently, but we're all doing the same thing. So it's odd how individualistic it can be. And yet people really adhere to the boundaries. So yeah, I think I would just be more discerning and I'm thankful for the people I've been worked with because, you know, your words are a magnet. So don't say stuff that you don't want those people coming to you. <laughs> Your words are a magnet. That is gold right there. <laughs> yeah, you you know, you'll reap what you what you say. Or so. I'm gonna put that on a magnet and sell it as merch. Your words <laughs> are a magnet. <laughs> All right. So let's be careful uh, with track. Let's get uh, let let's combine these two because they're similar, and it's um it'll be a two parter here. Um, 
Trent Babb asks, do you write random jokes and group them later or stick to one theme until finished? And this could also parlay into like Wayne Flake asking, what is your favorite writing technique? So do you use random jokes and group them together or stick them in a theme later? And what technique do you enjoy when you're creating this uh, material? Close. So I think it's, you know, I, I just write what comes to me or things that are, you know, on my mind or get stuck in my craw and um, emotions and feelings and relationships um, that are affecting me. What's happening to me right now is how I write. Mm. And I later find a a string or a thread to weave them all together. And the most difficult part of that is like, obviously if I write a joke about going to Chipotle high, it's like, where does that fit in? There's always going to be one that's like an outlier where you're like, is this going to go in? Cause I don't have anywhere to really put it. Cause I'm someone who really likes to have it flow and make sense. It's like, you know, it's a script. It's, it's in some ways it can be very funny to go from talking about, you know, I'm looking around my house, whatever, buying a new lamp and then being like, so my dad's a dick, you know, like obviously you can smash things up together to make them funny in that way. But I also like having it be, have me flow from subject to subject and you go, how did we get from growing up in sex ed class to the Me Too movement? I mean, whatever, like you just, how did we get from here to there? Mm-hmm. And, and and not having you even think about it, having just flowing with me. So I, I, I definitely string them together consciously. Callbacks come probably the latest, you know, as you're putting finishing touches on it where you're like, what would blow callbacks blow an audience's mind. So if you strategically place them, um, that's important. And I'm willing to change and add things up until the last minute. And the way that I write mostly is scribbling things down in my notes on my computer. It's all threaded through, um, connected to my phone. So it's like, if I put, you know, I'll do the notes app, I'll do voice memos, but I rarely go back and listen. I over record every set, but I rarely go back and listen to my voice memos of joke ideas. I need to do that. It's on the to-do list. Got a couple months. Um, and writing little notebooks everywhere. So the, that can be bad because I'll go back through a notebook after I, it, 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 I'm, I'm also like instinctually editing. You can say like, Oh, I, I'll look back and think like, oh, I should have worked harder on this or that. And it's like going on the road and over periods of, of months and times, like I just do it. So I think I'm not working cause I didn't sit down and work with it. But if I listen to a set from 2017 and then 2019, I did it just because it was trial and error. So I didn't sit down and, but I did it. And so it doesn't, that's why my, that, that constant feeling of I should be working, I should be working. It's like by thinking about it, by doing it, you're working. Cause I just, I tell, I test jokes by not open mics, but by headlining sets. I mean, like that's just sort of like, or local shows around LA. I mean, again, this is all obsolete now because we're in a pandemic but yeah sometimes the first time you try it it's very close to what it will be and other times you're saying something wrong potentially problematic until you figure out the missing piece that will get you to the punchline and 
this this coming from oh do you have a notebook right there were you looking oh I'm, this is full this is all this is the stand-up notebook shelf all that is all your um oh you're kind of blurred out um are you can you pull oh i know can yeah i was gonna say can you pull one up okay so it's it like that depends on, like, it depends on um and then sometimes it's just like you know angry writing but it's also a lot of set lists you know i don't know oh, if it's you can see blurred. Them. um i just have to move my face well, maybe it's best that it's blurred. Um, oh, no. We want to, oh, you can see the back of it. So when it's like that, oh, no, when you bring it up at a downward angle, it's not blurred, but we can't read it either way. So we yeah. can see we can see scribbles, but, like, you can't read. Yeah. A, a lot of it, like, a lot of these books are set lists, and uh -huh. part of my process is just rewriting the hour in a set list form, moving things around and trying them in order, but... Yeah, it's like you know, it's instinctual. What you feel comfortable opening on, what a what a good strong joke is, and um, how to get them quick. Um, yeah, I also just change notebook size over time, or just in different moods or whatever. So sometimes I'll be on one of these, you know, and sometimes I'll I switch I switch like size a lot. <laughs> Oh yeah. Just, and styles. Yeah. I'll do the same thing. Sometimes it's the, yeah. the, Oh, there we go. This is just thing. I, I don't know. I think I, there. Oh, Wait, hold on. Oh, there yeah. we go. Sometimes it'll do stories or what did I write here? <laughs> I hope nobody screenshot that. <laughs> oh, really? Is it? <laughs> what was it? I should have really, um, looked at that before I showed it. What did it say? Uh, well, well, one no, this one was fine. The top one was fine. It just said Nigel dug a hole to get to a tray of the neighbor's cornbread. So the neighbor put a tray of cornbread on their side of the fence, and then of course my mom's dog dug a hole to the other side where the cornbread was. <laughs> I'm like, was it poison? Like, why are you putting cornbread by the fence, you lunatic? But I think she likes birds. I'm just like, you're gonna put a cornbread on the other side. Of Fence where a dog is. What do you think is gonna happen? And then, he, and then she also chopped down my sister's childhood tree because it was partly in her yard. This woman, my mom's neighbor, is a psycho. I haven't written jokes about it, but so would that um, idea come from like you were just on the phone with your mom and she was telling you this, so then you go and write it down? Yeah, people love hearing Nigel stories. I never put that really into a joke though, but I have it. I don't know. Maybe I'll put it in a script or something. Cool. And then this is. This says Dad's Tale, which is a story from my friend Natalie Lanny. I, I rarely, like, I typically just use my own things. Like, all of my stuff is, I can't think of something I've said that didn't happen. Like, of course, I think, I, I don't, I can't speak for other comics. I think some comics are fine with making stuff up. And I think audiences in general often believe that you're making it up. And I think sometimes stuff from my life, they think I'm making up until they like go to my dad's website and they're like, Oh, this man is real. So I think like my stuff is real. There's only one time I took an experience of a bike riding situation that happened to my friend, Aaron, but it went into my biking material and she's like one of my best friends. So it was like, she told me what happened and I wrote a joke about it. So it's like, but anyway, dad's tale, I've never told that joke, but 
she caught her when she was like a little girl. She walked in on her dad showering and came to her mom and she said, Papa's got a tail. (laughs) 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 That's just, I don't know. I wrote that. That's great. Yeah. And then forensic files. I do weird things in my hotel now. So the security cam footage will catch me like dipping my toe in the pool, eating three Snickers. So it find something about like making it and then making it very difficult to track what happened to me before I died. I, I have no clue. I think I think I was thinking of I was staying in a bad hotel in Seattle because the owner of Laughs Comedy Club is cheap and they didn't care where they put you. They put me in this trucker motel oh. that was like there was like hypodermic needles and it was like bad and. I had talked to other comics where he put them in a nicer hotel. So it was just like, it sucks that, you know, you're already, I, I hate to be like women are it's tough, but it's like, you know, as a female comic, you're already kind of more, a little more vulnerable on the road or you can be, I don't want to make sweeping statements, but you know, you're traveling alone. So to stay at this like crappy motel, I was like, I should do a lot of things on the security footage. So they know I'm here. Like, so like you know what I mean? Around the place. And then if I die, then, for sure know what happened before I died. Anyway, that's I never wrote a joke about it, but this and the thing I wrote, I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> the one that we should have been blurred out, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because it's like, is it like gross or is it racist? No, it just, is it No no no. <laughs> I don't know. It was just about it was uh yeah, it said a guy I dated his name and then <laughs> Someone says all they saw was the word chopped. So, um, oh, that's what Cody said. So, is that it? That's Close? No. You dated a guy named Chopped? Is that what I'm hearing? No. no. I'm just kidding. No, it was like usually, it was basically about, never mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about dying and being on the road and... Let's, um, how about two more questions? Can we do two more here, Beth? Um, I don't, we're, we're running over a little bit. Should we wrap this up? Do you need to land this plane? Cause <laughs> so, all right, we'll do yeah. one more and this, this could be a good memories one. Cause we are, we're running the light a little bit here, kids. So thank you to everyone that posted questions. Um, but yeah, if you see other, let's just rattle them off. I'll, I'll, I'll do, I said I would answer more concisely and I didn't, but it's all good. Uh, this one ties into what we were just talking about, being on the road. Is uh, CJ asks, what memories of the road will flash through your mind right before you die? <laughs> <laughs> they will be... I, I, I can remember exactly where I was. Like, um, in Austin, Texas, at Cap City, a guy comes up to me. This was when I was touring that joke about... This joke about my mom where a show we did in LA was canceled and she, she's a teacher and she said snow day. And I have a joke about mom, like, you know, sweet if you're an elementary school teacher, but if you're a comic, they think you have cooking. And so she was like, and th- that I wrote that because a guy came up to me in Ca- after a show in Cap City and was like, um, what did he say? Oh my God. I, I, I wrote the joke off of it. And I can't remember. Do you like, fuck I forget what it was it was something like do you ski or snow sports or something it was basically saying I thought he was asking me about like some sort of does it snow where you come I forget it was something like this I didn't get it because I don't do drugs and I was like 
what? No. Is it, he said something about there's snow in Texas. And in my head, I'm like, it's arid. Like, what are we talking about here? And I was like, no. And then he left. And later somebody was like, oh, he was asking if he wanted to do cocaine. And I had no clue. And so then later on that my mom really did say snow day, I was able to link that joke. But this, I can't believe it's, I've blanked on what he said to me. But it was a guy coming up to me after the show asking me if I do coke. And no, he didn't say, do you party? It was something to do with snow. Snow skiing? Who cares? The point is that moment. And then I was in Madison, Wisconsin uh, at Comedy on State. And this was when I was selling like old albums, I guess. I had hard albums. And a guy was like, can you sign this for me? I'm going to use it. Like he was basically saying, I'm going to use it to jerk off with. And his wife was right there. And she was like, God damn it. <laughs> Let's go. Or something like that. But it was just basically like a guy coming up to me with his wife and like, can you sign this so I can use it later? And it was just like, what? <laughs> it's not like a sexy photo. It's like just anyway, that, um, well, wait, hold on. Was it saying, Oh, moments on the road flashing before my eyes. Trying to think of other, oh, um, a girl, uh, there's this awesome chick that came up to me after a show in Indy and I have, like I said, in this new special, there's abortion material and, uh, she was, came up to buy a hat of mine. My new special is called girl daddy and I sell these girl daddy hats and she was like, I'm going to wear this to my abortion next week. And she opened up her wallet and it had like tons of cash in it. And she was like, this is the money from the guy paid for part of his portion of her whatever she paid for her. So I was like, yeah, that's, that was an awesome yeah. moment. Um, I talk about, you know, um, in this new hour, you know, what it's like the relationship between men and women and sex and everyone's complaints and jokes about the Me Too movement and what it really means and blah, blah, blah. So a guy in Indianapolis came up to me with his son who was about to head off to college and they were hammered and they were together and they were like, we got, we want to buy girl daddy hats. It was like, and the guy, the young guy was like, a lot of that stuff was really good for me to hear. Thank you. You know, like this or that. It, it was just great. It was like just a great moment. Um, <laughs> basically me teaching him about sex and just calm down and, <laughs> And uh, stop letting these male comics scare you about it. Um, I'm trying to think. I think those are some great some, moments some that great, come to yeah, mind. Some, yeah, those are awesome. Uh, and they, CJ says, LOL, girl daddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Cody says you could write an illustrated kid's book about Nigel. Maybe merch, <laughs> merch there. Um, uh, good idea. Nigel and the tail of the cornbread. So let's get to um let let's let's let this one be uh where'd it go? Um what are your opinions? This is from Aaron Despiva, and this could be like yay or nay, but what are your opinions of the online open mics that are happening? You know, that's a good question. I like to be honest, I'm not really aware of them. Like, I think I knew that some of them were happening. Like I got one email, for example, from Flappers Comedy Club that was like, <sighs> I think initially during COVID they were saying, we're waiving the fee. And then they were like, it's $5 per comic. And it's like, look, this is an interesting, tough time. 
as a touring comic, I have the ability to donate to things like tip your weight staff and clubs that I've been to for the last years of headlining of people I care about, um, you know, like Portland Helium and all the Vermont comedy club, all these places. I, I'm, I'm not bragging about donating. I'm saying there's people there that I care about and they need to make money and it's a scary time. So I'm happy to donate. However, it's also a very interesting time because there's a complicated relationship between club and comic. When you first start, you are indebted to them. You take the stage time you need it. You'll kind of say yes to anything. And really, depending on the club, some of them are good and care, but it's a business. And so oftentimes it can feel like as a comic, when you see how much you can make versus how much you started, and it's a give and take relationship. You're nobody. They're giving you a chance. And as you build your audience, if you're a famous person, you can walk with an exorbitant amount of money from a club. So it's a complicated relationship of feeling like they're just robbing you less over time. So when you are being asked to pay for an open mic, it's kind of like, to me, I look at that and I'm like, oh, fuck them. So like that really bothers me um, because it is so complicated where you're just like, yes, I'm indebted to you, but also you robbed me. And it's like, it's, it's, it's frustrating because as an artist, like you are a commodity and you can bring in more money at one point than you could at another point. And so I think, I guess my point is it bothers me when comics have to pay to do open mics, but I also understand that things are a business. And during these COVID times, when comics who care about the clubs are donating so the staff can be okay, it's kind of like, I'm not a business owner, so I don't understand rent and how much money they're losing on food but part of me is also like why aren't you taking care of them because hmm. hmm. you make a lot of money it seems off of comics so like part of me just wishes like the disparity between what the people who work at the club are being paid and how much the club makes were during this time more um i don't know copacetic i worry about that but anyway, that was a long answer again. You're doing great. Um, to about open mics, which is I'm not doing them. And I'm also not really doing Zoom shows because that's not stand-up comedy. I, I, You know, like, it's just not. I did the Sklar Brothers. Like, I'll riff with Mike for the tip your weight stuff thing, Berbiglia. And I did the Sklar Brothers um just for laugh show where you just have to do four minutes of material, but you're doing it for the Sklar brothers and they're like giggling with you. Mm -hmm. And then you riff with them for mm -hmm. four minutes. But that being said, I've also enjoyed watching some comics performances. So while it's not for me, like I don't really want to do zoom shows. I'm glad that other comics are doing it. If they feel that it's right for them and they want to do it. I was watching some stuff that Rosebud Baker put out and it was making me laugh. It's like, you know, so I'm glad some people are doing it. But um, and I'm not shitting on it. There's no right way for any of this. There's always going to be comics that say get up every night. And if you're a real comic, you'll grind. And then there are comics like who just go up when they can. and It works for them. So just have to find out what, what's right for you. But it bothers me if they're making you pay to do the open mic. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and speaking of comics, this question is: Do you think Mike Berbiglia would do this show? <laughs> I think Joel Byers that... posted that one. <laughs> this is turning into a sketch that I did with Joe Quazala, where he was like, "I'm I'm a guest on the podcast," and he's like, "Yeah, we're, there's some." 
better people than you that we're trying to get. And <laughs> I can sh- I'll, I'll shoot his uh, assistant your email and see what happens. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's that's we're trying to do something positive here for comedy, you know. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, as we uh, we land this plane, let's. This is one that can be answered in single words. <laughs> We're going to close strong here. And this is from uh, Imri, who asks, okay. who are your f- top five favorite comedians, alive or dead? Wow. Growing up, people, I'm trying to think of like, it's interesting that people I adored and were influenced by are, you know, comics. They started as comics and then turned more into actors. So Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, um, Jim Carrey, Chris Rock, Whoopi Goldberg. Like those movies were so formative to me as, as a young kid. So I'm naming those five because it's like that's who I watch be funny and be stars and imitate and emulate. And Yeah. Love so it. mostly Love men. I mean, you know, I was like, I, I, I think about that because like as a woman comic, I'm like, mm-hmm. but Whoopi, oh, my loved and sister act. I just think of their movies are like Ace Ventura, Mrs. Doubtfire. These things I watched as a kid that I, I, I was just like, yeah, down to earth with Chris Rock and um, anything Eddie Murphy was in his kid, Dr. Doolittle even. Mm-hmm. That, that's something I don't even think about. Like we, we do a daily writing club in this group where every day at 10 a.m. we meet up and write for 10 minutes on a random word just just to keep the, the iron sharp a little bit. And someone mentioned today because I had uh, Emmy Blotnick on earlier this week and now I'm having you on and a female comic commented, thank you for proving that women are funny. And I was just like, it's that's not even something I even like think about where I'm like, well, I better get a female or you know, the streets are going to revolt. It is just like, there's just it's funny people. Funny. You but. know, it's almost like, it's almost like a weird thing that keeps getting brought up. It's odd. It's, it's almost like it was made up. I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to, to get a grasp on what I'm saying. It's like, if all of a sudden for years, every now and then people just started saying like, I guess men can wear red. And it's like, Men are wearing red. I, I, right. They've been wearing red right. since like the turn of the century. I'm so confused why this keeps getting put out. I mean, there have been f- Elaine May. I mean, there have been like Lucille Ball. There have been funny women entertaining like the entire country for a very, very long time. So it's almost like a odd thing that got like pushed through the vents or something. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't so long i mean i i get the whole uh, lot people love to cite christopher hitchens and the evolutionary need to be funny is not for women and you know men need it to attract a mate and this for that it's not as funny. but um yeah women have been funny forever but twitter and instagram and all those things didn't exist so we've really missed out on some of the women who came and went in the 80s who were fucking holding it down like they just weren't big household names do any come to mind you want to put on Shine? I hadn't heard Elaine May before, so that's someone I'm going to check out. Yeah, I haven't heard of her before. Well, I have her. It's an old record, um, but she was in a duo. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to run it. But, um, I mean, somebody like, uh, watch Women of the Night. It's on YouTube. Okay. 
Women of Night HBO special. Liz Winstead's on there. Um, yeah, I recommend that. Perfect. Perfect. Even some women who, yeah, they just didn't, it wasn't, I, I think sometimes there are, um, we could all do a better job of sort of highlighting those women. But anybody from Women of the Night, I would say, that's an easy search on YouTube. Awesome. All right. So as Let's get out of here, but do you have any, this is a comedy advice show, so do you have any closing comedy advice or uh, wisdom, favorite, anything favorite you've picked up that has helped you along the way you could bestow upon us? Yeah, I think, you know, it takes time to find your voice. I think you'll notice when you are finally really coming into yourself and um, your own and do what you think is funny. Uh, remember that your words are a magnet. So what you say will draw certain people to you and you need to make sure that those are the type of people you want drawn to you. Uh, you don't have to do everything, every podcast, every, you know, like don't go on something that has fans that you don't think are going to love what you do or you don't want liking what you do. Not everybody's going to like you. Um, of course there are comics that everybody likes and there are certain type of comic, but you have to decide what's right for you. And, um, yeah, your jokes matter, I think, no matter who you are. So to say that, you know, to say things that whether you're influential or not, but especially if you're influential and have a lot of followers, like they're not just jokes. Like what you say matters. So that's how I how I see it. Boom. And uh, yeah. So where can people keep up and support you as we're in quarantine here? Anything you want to promote? Um, you know, like I, I'm not, like I kind of mentioned this with you, I'm not like putting out a ton of content, but you can always find me at Beth Stelling on Instagram and Twitter. I, you know, I try to pop in here and there, but I'm, I'm writing on things. So I'm just sort of doing that and trying to take this time to rest. I mean, I'm not really doing shows or anything. I'll, I'll play Quiplash every now and then, which is fun. So I'll post, I post about those things. And then in August, my special is set to come out on HBO Max, and it's called Girl Daddy. So exciting. All right. Well, thank you, Beth Stelling. Let's give her a round of applause here. I have a sound effect. We play in the group. I don't think you can hear it on Skype, but everyone's hearing applause right now. So oh, thank, thank you. you guys for having me. Well, thank you for your time, Beth. Hot breath the verse. Go forth. We'll be back next Tuesday with uh, Shane Torres. So until then, have a good day, Hot breath verse There it is, Hot breath verse If you enjoyed this interview with Beth Stelling, you will absolutely love our first episode with her. That is linked in the show notes along with a link to our Facebook group where you can start getting involved in Q&As like these and actually ask your favorite comics your own questions. You can also start connecting with comics from around the world, doing our daily writing club. We also do a weekly Q&As and feedback mics and much, much more. There's a whole community centered around this podcast on the mission of cultivating the next generation of great comics. And it's listeners like you. It's members of that Facebook group. It's supporters in that Patreon, which shout out to our newest patron, Greg Liptak just joined the Hot Breath Patreon. Thank you for those in that Patreon that are keeping this boat afloat, keeping the Hot breath verse alive, and thriving, and growing, and surviving, and all the other Ivings. But I think 
it's time to get out of here. So I end all of these by thanking my wife, Erin, for making the theme song to this show and much more. And I by thanking you, the hot brethren and sisters out there, putting in the work while also supporting this show. Thank you, everyone. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Bread. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.